and welcome to the Famous Five podcast, in which we share with you a Famous Five adventure written by Enid Blyton. Today's book is Five Have Plenty of Fun. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to be subject to spoilers, please turn off now and come back when you've read it. Hello! Hello, my friend. We're back. I know. It's been a long, long time. It's be it has been a long time. Um, we were going to record this one before your sweet baby came, but we didn't end up being able to make it happen. We had to do some rescheduling, and then you poor thing got to the point where you weren't were not feeling like you were up to it, and um, so we left you listeners. In July, we've worked out, thinking we'd just be gone for a month or two. But here we are. It's uh, February, probably. It's February as we're recording, so we'll see. It's either February or March when this comes out. Yes. Actually, as you mentioned that, um, should probably say that now that I have a lovely little four-month-old daughter, recording and editing is going to take a lot longer than it used to. So we're not going to stick to our end-of-the-month release mm. date that we used to do. So the episodes will be with you when they're with you. So there's no need for people to get in touch and chase us up on episodes. They'll be there when they're there. And, you know... When I listen to other podcasts, they always suggest subscribing, which we don't usually do. But I will say, if you subscribe, you'll get a notification when episodes come out and then you can stay on top of them because we, we're we at least planning to not be um, erratic, but you never know what will happen. So subscribe, subscribe. And whilst you're subscribing, if you're doing it on iTunes, why not leave us a review? And thank you to everybody who already has. And to those people that during our hiatus sent us lovely messages. That was really sweet. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who gets in contact with us in whatever way. It's really nice. And hopefully you're coming back after the hiatus to listen. And we hope to hear from you again or from anybody listening for the first time. Yeah, hit us up. We love it. We've missed you and we've missed the famous five. So shall we dive back into book 14? Five have plenty of fun. Yes, let's. And let's have plenty of fun along with the five. So the synopsis on the back of my book says, This summer, the five will become six and George isn't happy about it. American girl Berta has been threatened with kidnap and Kieran Cottage is the only place she can hide. But Berta's arrival puts them all in danger when someone starts spying on them from Kieran Island. Berta may be in disguise, but can they keep her safe and protect her from the kidnappers? Oh, that's nice. Mine, actually I was going to say the silliest thing. I was going to say mine is quite similar. <laughs> Obviously it's quite similar because we have established we are reading the same book, 14, 5 and Plenty of Fun. Uh, so <laughs> that aside, turns out we have forgotten how to podcast. I'll read you mine. Mine's, a, mine's quite short, actually, which is funny because I thought I had the same uh, version of the book as you this time. But mine says, George is very cross when a spoiled American girl arrives at Kieran Cottage in the middle of the night, dressed in disguise. But this is no time for George to be jealous. Berta is hiding from kidnappers and only the famous five can protect her. Ooh. There's so, so many things... Kieran Cottage is the only place she's safe and the famous five are the only ones who can protect her. The police are no good in, uh, or ever really, except, actually, no, sorry, credit where it's due, the police are always good when the crime's already been solved and <laughs> the 
baddies have been rounded up and contained somewhere or are being cornered by Timmy and then the police come and arrest them and drive them off in cars. That's when the police are good. And actually, I think in this book it is no different. The police swoop in at the end and they just tie everything up in a neat little bow. Then they leave the kids to have the adventures. And we should start that adventure now. So, chapter one. We're at Kieran Cottage eating ice cream. But Uncle Quentin has visitors, some scientists, all working on a gift to mankind. The five are having so much fun at the beach that they're late for lunch. One of the scientists specifically wants to see the children, as his daughter will soon attend their school. He's American and asks Anne to keep an eye on Berta, his daughter. She says she will and he gives her a pound. Aunt Fanny has made them a picnic and so they return to the beach. While they're at the beach, actually, there was almost a mention of a character I was very fond of in a book uh, previously. They're laying back on the sand after their picnic, and Julian began a long story of some trick that he and Dick had played on their form master at school. Incidentally, uh, he was most annoyed because nobody laughed at the funny part and sat up to see why, and they're all asleep. But when I read that, I thought, is it a clopper trick? Because remember when they got the clopper suit and they were talking about how they were going to play all of the tricks on all the teachers at school? And I mean, I can only assume it's not a clopper trick because A, nobody listened to the story because it was boring and B, I feel, no, sorry, that was actually, it wasn't boring, but they were all full and they went to sleep. It wasn't uh, exciting enough to keep them awake. And um, also there's no, there's no name drop of our favourite pony suit. Also, I can't imagine Julian playing pranks at school. I know. I can see it from Dick, obviously. Yeah, that's true, actually. Julian's always the the little adult. Hmm, interesting. In chapter two, they eat their picnic and hear the American leave. Dick and Julian have been abroad. Anne has been on camp and had a friend to stay. And George has been at Kieran alone. As they settle into life at Kieran Cottage, they start planning days out when the phone rings and Julian takes a message, recognising the American scientist's voice, telling him to tell Uncle Quentin to, to expect him that night. The message is very rushed. Julian tells the others, and Dick says he'll stay up late as he wants a good look at the American's car. Okay, Dick. Cool. It's going to be in the middle of the night. How is he going to see the car? I didn't even think of that. As you were rereading it, and, you know, just re-familiarising myself with the book, I thought, oh, that's going to be a plot point, um, and not to spoil what's gonna, what you're going to tell us uh, in this chapter, but uh, it is, it's going to be a plot point that he's looking out for that car. Hmm. Apparently, Uncle Quentin has sorted out all the science into three parts, his parts being the least important and the Americans being the most. In an effort to stay awake, Dick goes into the garden and at 1am he hears a man arrive on a bicycle and hears him tap at Uncle Quentin's window. Elba, the American, climbs in. Dick returns to bed puzzled. Next morning, Aunt Fanny doesn't want to talk about it, but a camp bed has been put in Anne and George's room. Uncle Quentin bellows for the children. In Chapter 3, Uncle Quentin gathers them all together and it transpires that Berta is under threat of kidnap because her father knows more of the science than anyone else. Uncle Quentin is totally awful here. George has saved his life in the past and Berta's Mm. coming to Kieran Cottage to be safe. Aunt Fanny would hate for George to be kidnapped. Well, how about kidnapped again? Because how many times has George been kidnapped? In the last 13 books. Oh, that's so funny. 
funny, actually, that that's your example of him being awful. Because I put a little note in here of him being quite awful. And it's also about George. And it's also him just being ridiculous. Aunt Fanny's trying to explain to him why Berta's father values her so much and says, Quentin, she's his only child and he adores her. I should feel the same about George. And then Quentin says, Women are always soft and silly. It's a good thing you don't know any secrets. Um, implying that she would give up important secrets to save her child. And yes, yes, Quentin, because that's what people would do for their children. That's not, it's not strange. You missed the last li- last bit of that line, which was, you'd give them away to oh. the milkman. Well, only if the milkman was the one who had kidnapped George. And this was so ridiculous that the children laughed. Oh, goodness, it just gets worse. Well, at least they're seeing how ridiculous Uncle Quentin's behaviour is. And oh, they're not yes, like, sorry. yes, Aunt Fanny. That's true, yes, it does. Uh, it does say that Uncle Quentin glared at them because they're laughing at him. When you said they laughed for a second, I thought they're laughing because uh, Aunt Fanny would give the secrets to the milkman. But no, they've been redeemed. Quentin's just being uh, very obtuse and uncaring. Agreed. And also, he George has saved his life and he does actually owe it to her to give his secrets to the milkman if that would save her life. Yeah, that milkman, he's right trouble. Mm. <laughs> when it's revealed that Bert is coming and George is really not happy that somebody else is coming, Julian tells her to uh, make the best of it and George says, I hate making the best of things. And <laughs> I completely identify with George in that instant. I mean, I identify with her on the whole, but yes, I hate making the best of things as well. Yeah. Or certainly I hate being told to make the best of things. Yeah, yeah, because reasonably, I, the reasonable part of me rather thinks, yes, make the best of things. But then the, you know, the more emotional part of me thinks, well, if you've already thought you're going to have this lovely um, time together over the summer, and especially she's just been at Kieran on her own, and so this other person's going to come and like she knows that they're going to ruin it because they always do in some way for her, you know, because Georgia, she likes what she knows. She likes spending time with her cousins and they all get along. And every time another person comes in, it ruins the um. Oh, what's the word? I Status want? quo. Yes. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stick to the status quo. Exactly. George <laughs> loves the status quo and when other people come in they do mess with it and yeah I wouldn't like it either and who knew there was a high school musical crossover with the famous thing I know but there is there always is there always is in chapter four Berta arrives bundled up and sobbing she arrived by boat and so she's seasick and scared she also brought Sally her little very easy to identify dog George is not very welcoming, and when Berta is asleep, Aunt Fanny scolds her. By the way, Anne sleeps through all of this. That of felt a little bit like just sort of a convenient plot point so that Enid wouldn't have to write in any uh, any words for Anne to say. But but she sleeps through everything. Oh, yeah. Don't you remember the whole plan of escape on Mystery Moor and Anne's just fast asleep tied up? Bless her, she does. Yeah, okay, so actually so it's realistic for Anne. She's a good sleeper. I liked Aunt Fanny a lot 
in this section where um, George is pretending to be asleep because she knows uh, Aunt Fanny's asked her if she's awake. And George knows that Aunt Fanny is very displeased with her. So she thinks if she pretends to be asleep, she can sort of avoid the fallout. Aunt Fanny says, I'm sure you are awake and I hope you're ashamed of yourself. I shall expect you to make up for this silly behaviour in the morning. It is a pity to behave in such a childish manner. Yeah, I mean, I, good on, good on Aunt Fanny. George, George is cool, but she can be difficult. Oh, and, absolutely. Um, I think it was, it was good of Aunt Fanny just to say, you know, this, the way you're behaving is childish. It's not, it's not justified to be unkind to Berta. I mean, she's going to ruin your, your week, but, but still, you know. She's just a a little girl. And the thing with George is she's already made up her mind that everything's ruined. Mm. So she's not open to the suggestion that it might be all right. Yeah. I.e. making the best of it. She's decided and she's so stubborn that she's going to be a little monster about it. Yeah. And she does. She always hopes that Timmy will hate everybody she hates. And he is usually very good (laughs) at that. But... When people are kind or nice, he does just like them because he's a kind and nice dog. Um, and I, I mean, George, she's, George is doing what all of us do and she's really working herself up into a tizzy and she's getting angry and uh, it says here, um, oh, that silly, soppy girl. Her dog would be as silly as herself, she was sure. And Timmy would simply hate having another dog in the house. He would probably growl and snarl to such a degree that Berta would be forced to send her dog away. And you know poor George she'll think on it the next day and realize she was being silly but she's she's angry and she's justified but she is acting like a baby however what happens later in the book I think she's a little bit justified to be annoyed yeah yeah I, I, that's <laughs> but the she thing. doesn't know it yet this book I, I struggled with a little bit because I I didn't really like George's behavior at a few different points but she's yeah, she wasn't she wasn't totally unjustified really. At th- this point I think is one of the only ones where she's unkind on purpose to make Berta feel bad. That's the only time she really acts like badly badly. I wonder if her behavior is because she's been on her own because when she's at school she's surrounded by her peers and when she's with her cousins she has the odd moment. Mm. But if she's been on her own for 2 3 4 weeks She's probably reverted back to the George she was, you know, before Five on the Treasure Island. That's true. And then she spent so much time looking forward to her cousins coming. And then when they do, that gets ruined almost straight away. In Chapter 5, George and Anne wake and talk about Berta. Anne has a Jen moment all about little dogs. Mm. When George says, it can't be very big. I expect it's a horrible peak or some silly little lap dog. Peaks aren't horrible, said Anne. They may be small and have funny little pug noses, but they're awfully brave. Fancy having another dog. I can't think what Timmy will say. That's my Jen moment. Yeah, that is what I'm like. I do wonder what the other pets will say. And uh, yes, I don't know much about Peaks being awfully brave, but if Anne says so, then it must be true. (laughs) Although we do know Anne is quite, quite mad. (laughs) Yes. Yes, little Anne. Berta awakes and likes Anne. George is still hostile and makes fun of Berta's accent. The gong sounds for breakfast. 
when did they buy a gong? <laughs> and Berta meets Uncle Quentin, who hilariously can't remember her name. He's got too much science to think about. Then a letter marked urgent is read, and Berta's father says she must be disguised as a boy, haircut and a new name. Berta is distraught. Oh. In chapter six, as a distraction, sensible Julian strikes up a conversation and they all laugh when Uncle Quentin butters his toast with mustard. Oh dear. Berta gets Sally and George tries to convince Timmy to growl at her. <laughs> Timmy is startled at first, but they become fast friends. Aunt Fanny talks to Berta about her father's letter and when she protests, the patriarchy, I mean Julian, gets involved. Come on, kid, he said. Be your age. Remember you're a guest here and put on a few of your best manners. We like American children, but not spoilt ones. Berta had quite a shock to hear Julian speaking to her like this. She looked up at him, and he grinned down at her. She felt near tears, but she smiled back. You haven't any brothers to keep you in your place, said Julian, linking his arm in hers. Well, from now on, while you're here, Dick and I are your brothers, and you've got to toe the line. Just like Anne, see? What about it? <sighs> that makes me want to just, just give Julian a little punch yes. in the head. Come on, George, where are you when we need you? Zero, dear. <sighs> J-Man has taken it too far. Too far. In chapter 7, Aunt Fanny calls a conference. Poor Berta is primed for change and everyone has an opinion on her head shape and what she should wear. And she reacts by being rude to George. It's decided they will call her by her middle name, Leslie, but we'll continue to call her Berta. Then we have a pronoun argument and off comes Berta's hair. I mean, this is borderline child abuse. Yeah, I think actually I think that was one of the things I found most upsetting about this book when they cut her hair and she's crying and everybody just says, you know, cheer up, get on with it. Make the best of it. Yeah, and I just, oh, I feel, I've got strong feelings about hair. Hair is such a part of people's identity and especially people who really value their hair and love it and think it's beautiful having it forcibly cut off is cruelty and I know she's doing it for you know for this great disguise and they're going to disguise her and all but oh God, yeah when they cut all her hair off and at the end there it's done said Aunt Fanny at last stop crying Leslie and let's have a look at you oh goodness mm. well in chapter eight she makes a very angelic looking boy and demands that Sally sleeps on her bed after Dick says that she um, is an angelic boy, um, Aunt Fanny says uh, it's very odd, but there's no doubt about it. When he's dressed in boys' clothes, he'll make a fine boy. Better than George, actually, because her hair's really too curly for a boy. This is one of uh, the, the most repetitive uh, famous five tropes, that George doesn't look like a boy because she's got curly hair, and as everyone knows, boys all have straight hair. <laughs> like angelic choir boys. Is that because boys always had very short hair at the time? So even if they did have curls, it wouldn't have been grown long enough to curl? Oh, that might be it, you know. Because I've got a picture here of them cutting off Berta's hair and you can see that at the back it's, it is it's so short. So there wouldn't be room for a curl even if she had one. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was just a general way to pick on George. Yeah. For George to feel bad because... Boys do... Oh, I don't know. Very strange. Very strange. 
Joanna says that Berta and Sally can sleep in her room so both dogs don't have to share a room. <laughs> Berta puts on boys' clothes and everyone is convinced Uncle Quentin is fooled. She still has an American accent. She's using her middle name. Her dog is with her and now she's with a man known to her father. It's not a great plan, is it? No, I. it would have made more sense to send Sally away and dye Berta's hair and have her, you know, not speak or practice her English accent than all of the wild lengths they've gone to that still aren't really that great a disguise. No. But I'm sure Uncle Quentin and the other man, the other scientist man, know best. Of course. Science for the win. Yes. They are, of course, working on more unspecified science, which is a gift to mankind. Brilliant. The children go for a bathe. George and Anne underestimate Berta, who is a very strong swimmer, and ducks George, much to her annoyance. In Chapter 9, Berta has settled in, put on weight, and got a tan. Uncle Quentin still can't remember who she is. There's a science emergency at Kieran Cottage, and Uncle Quentin and Aunt Fanny must leave. Yeah. The child that's in their care because of fear of kidnap, they're just going to abandon and leave with Joanna. She tells the children to have all-day picnics in the boat. I guess because you can't get kidnapped out of a boat because you can just row away? Uh, it, it doesn't make sense, but okay. They can't anyway as the row lock is being fixed. They make sandwiches with the American products that Berta's father has sent them. And then they head off to bed exhausted. Mm. I assume they eat the sandwiches before they head off to bed. I hope so, because that would... It's just not a good idea to, you know, plan on eating them while you're asleep. Or eating them in bed, then you'd have crumbs. Um, I love that Uncle Quentin can't recognise Berta, <laughs> making him the only person in the book that is fooled by the disguise. In Chapter 10, a miracle happens. Anne is woken up by the thunder. She and Timmy watch out the window for the storm and hear a chug-chug of a motorboat. She thinks she sees a light near Kieran Island. Was there a boat by it? In the morning, George's furious, Joanna is worried, but Berta thinks it was a dream. Whilst waiting for their boat to be mended, Dick sees the reflection of someone's field glasses in the sun on Kieran Island. Dick thinks someone is spying on them, and that is a strange thing to do. Um, kidnap threats? Yeah, come on, Dick. We're 14 books in now. It's not... You need to put two and two together. Yeah, you're better than that. The children can't see anyone through their field glasses, but they don't see the rabbits, and so they think someone might have scared them away. Then it clicks that Sally is a total giveaway. Goodness. Wow. In Chapter 11, George wants to go straight to Kieran Island. Initially, Julian says no, but then decides taking the war to the enemy is a good idea. And Joanna says the police should be told. Yeah, I was I was glad of Joanna being the voice of reason in this moment. Um, she takes a grave view of it at once, and she reminds Julian that Aunt Fanny told them that the police have got to have a report of anything suspicious, and that he'd better ring them up. And Julian basically says... Uh, I'll uh, I'll do what I want now, and I'll call the police later. Yeah, I don't want to bye. bother them if it's nothing. <laughs> yeah, bye. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, they'd probably rather be bothered than what's going to unfold, but 
actually no because the police the police like it as discussed at the start the police like it when the famous five solve their mysteries <laughs> for them and then they only have to do the arrest it's efficient they head to Kieran Island and Berta is amazed they find cigarette ends and hear a motorboat they run to see the men who have escaped <gasps> In chapter 12, the motorboat disappears and they search Kieran Island, giving Berta a tour at the same time. Timmy hears something. It's two police officers. Joanna did call them and they've come to investigate. George feels that Kieran Island is spoilt now, so they head home. Anne goes for ice cream. The woman in the shop comments she's asking for seven, not five, and that a man has been in asking about the children at Kieran Cottage. When Anne tells them this, Timmy is lent to Berta for the night, and Aunt Fanny and Uncle Quentin have sent a letter to say they're going to be gone for a week. Oh dear. Um, I did like, by the way, in, in this chapter, you know uh, before I had a theory about Uncle Quentin being a wizard? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I don't have any more to add to that, but Bertha gets quite um, sort of spooky and mysterious when she goes to the ruins on Kieran Island. And there's a little bit where, when she's having her tour, um, it's strange and old and mysterious, said Berta, half to herself. It's asleep and dreaming of the old days when people lived here. It doesn't like us being here. And then Dick tells her to wake up because she's being quite dopey and she shakes herself and looks around again. But I think she was having some sort of magical moment where she was visited by the spirits of the past. Ooh, that is spooky. Yeah. It doesn't usually get kind of ethereal like that, does it? No, it doesn't. I um, I really like that bit, actually. It's a sleep and dreaming of the old days when people lived here. Ah, I, I like that. I'm going to say that the next time I go to a ruin. Actually, I'm, I'm just going to memorise this, and the next time I'm in a ruin, I'll say, it's strange and old and mysterious. It's a sleep and dreaming of the, the old days when people lived here. <laughs> See if I can impress anyone. Yeah, do. See what their reaction is and let us know. <laughs> See if someone says, wake up, you look quite dopey. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't dare. In chapter 13, Julian takes charge and closes up the house, but Anne requests the blinds up. Then George sees a face at the window. <gasps> Anybody who has listened to... Uh, I can't remember which one it was now. Five Fall Into Adventure, maybe? Seeing a face at the window is a famous five trope that has sort of leaked into my family's parlances. And a face at the window is something that me, my mum and dad have said quite a few times. Mm, yeah, face at the window, that that's a good trope. I'm glad that you're keeping that going. They send Timmy after it, but the face gets away in the car. Timmy returns and George scolds him. She immediately regrets it. Timmy forgives her, but is confused when he has to go to Joanna's room for the night. Sally won't settle, so Joanna brings her to George, and she annoys George so much that she takes her outside of Kieran Cottage to sleep in Timmy's kennel. And then George gets kidnapped. Dun, dun, when dun. Uh, Sally went to went into George's room, I um, I put a little note in that because I thought, that's gonna that's gonna be something, and it's the worst <laughs> something kidnapping again, I mean George is used to it by now, yeah, yeah, she's very strong and not shaken by this kidnapping because this was pretty old hat to her now, <laughs> yeah, she's going, oh well, the last time I was kidnapped, they did this, so yeah, got yeah, any uh, snacks, drinks, gotta keep these hostages fed, <laughs> haven't you heard. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh gosh, I'd forgotten yeah, you that. You have to take care of your hostages. Of course, except the really bad guy, uh, Pottersham mm. in Five of a Wonderful Time. He mm. didn't let them have any food. That's how we knew he yep. was the worst baddie. Worst of the worst. In chapter 14, the search for George begins, and they realise that she must have been taken in Berta's place. What will they say when they know they've got George and not me? asked Berta. Well, said Julian, considering, I really don't know. They might try the same thing with Uncle Quentin, but of course he hasn't got the figures they want. What about Berta now? asked Dick. Once they've men- Once those men find they've got the wrong girl, they'll be after Berta in a trice. George won't tell them, said Anne at once. She'll know that Berta would be in immediate danger if she did tell them, so she'll say nothing as long as she can. Would she really? said Berta, wonderingly. She's brave, isn't she? She could get herself set free at once if she said she wasn't me and proved it. Gee, she's wonderful if she could do a thing like that. George is brave, all right, said Dick, as brave as anything when she's in a fix. So now everybody thinks George is brilliant. Yeah, good. She is brilliant. And that, I mean, it's not ideal for the safety of the children, you know, from from a kind of grown up and reasonable point of view. But that's great that they know that George isn't going to say anything and she wouldn't put Berta in danger to save herself. Agreed. Julian lists things to do. Contact police, contact Aunt Fanny and Uncle Quentin, hide Berta. Joanna says they can pack Berta off to her cousins, who looks after Ragamuffin Joe, who is brilliantly described as a pickle, a scamp and a scallywag, but her heart's in the right place. She is all those things, and her heart is in the right place. So Berta is now Jane. She catches the bus with Joanna, as Julian calls the police, and Timmy is so miserable. Oh, Georges is away from him. Oh. In chapter 15, a sergeant and a constable arrive at the house. They know Berta is at risk. They aren't happy with the children taking charge. But when the frustrating police leave, they realise they haven't eaten. So they have breakfast and then Timmy the sniffer dog finds George's trail and it leads to tyre marks that Julian believes are American and he sketches the print. They also see a bright blue mark on a tree where the car must have hit it. Timmy finds a little green comb of George's and a hanky and a sweet and eventually a piece of paper with Gringo written on it. Ringo Star. <laughs> Gringo Star, yeah. Oh, I thought you said Ringo, even though I've read this. Sorry. <laughs> I, was just, I, was so, I was so carried away because I, I haven't got any more notes in until chapter 20, so I was just enjoying listening to your, your story. No, not Gringo Star. <laughs> <laughs> in chapter 16... Quote, the police were interested, but not helpful, <laughs> about a child being kidnapped. Oh. Joanna returns, and Aunt Fanny calls to say that at the news that it's George and not Berta kidnapped, Uncle Quentin has collapsed. Oh. Oh, now he cares. Yeah, now he cares about having his child kidnapped. Possibly by the milkman. We don't we know don't at know. this juncture. Yeah. Everyone heads to... <laughs> <laughs> Everyone heads to bed miserable. Oh. Joe climbs in the boys' bedroom window. She's annoyed Berta let George stay kidnapped because of her. They try to explain. They also ask her about the name Gringo. She remembers there was a fair nearby called Gringo's Great Fair. Joe made a friend on the fair and she offers to go and see Spikey. Joe says Spikey says Gringo would do anything for money. She asks for a bike so she can ride there straight away. Julian says no and tells her to head home. Joe seems to, but she takes Dick's bike. She's cheeky. Julia says, don't take my bike. And she's like, 
okay, bye. <laughs> just takes the other well, one. Well, she's a pickle and a scamp and a scallywag. She is. Joe has left a note. Julian, I saw Spikey. He's coming to the beach at 11. I took Dick's bike to go home on. I'll bring it back at 11. Don't be cross, Joe. Joe arrives and so does Spikey. They head to the beach. Spikey says Gringo told his pa he had a big job on, an American job. Also, Gringo moved his caravan away from the camp recently. Dick suggests they go to the fair. Julian says they should tell the police, but Spikey and Joe object. Anne stays behind with Sally. At the fair, they buy a ball and play near Gringo's caravan. In chapter 18, they get a look at the van, but they don't see George, just an angry old woman who shouts. Timmy finds a piece of clothing and tugs at it. It's George's dressing gown. Spikey says a man heard shouts from the van and Gringo had towed his little van away for repair. Julian then looks at Gringo's car. It's blue and American. Julian, Joe and Dick ride off to look at the map at potential places George could be. In chapter 19, Julian decides to enlist the help of Garage <laughs> Jim. <laughs> who we've never heard of before. I do hope we hear of him again, though. But he rings the garages in the other villages. His friend, the hotel porter, saw a car matching the description and, fortunately, he heard <laughs> someone say, Which way now? Yes, yes, did he hear the answer, said Julian. Somebody called back, Not far now, into twinning, turn to the left and it's the house over the hill. Well, of all the luck. <laughs> I'm, so <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's incredibly lazy. I know. She's got to page 167 and then she's just like, yes, and Garage Jim and Pat. And here's <laughs> the answer because can't, I can't work out another way for them to find out where George might be. And also there's so much build up to them finding George in Gringo's caravan and then she's not there. No. like. Yeah, but luckily, Garage Jim's friend, the hotel porter, Pat, overheard that exact bit of conversation and paid enough attention to it that he could remember it word for word. And also, so imagine if I got in your car, we were heading somewhere, <laughs> and I said to you, which way now? You went, not far now. Intertwinning, turn to the left, and this is the house on the hill. You wouldn't say that. You'd just go not far now, or turn left yeah. and get out of the village. You wouldn't do the entire instructions. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. They may as well have said, turn to the left, it's the house on the hill, then we'll put the girl that we've kidnapped in the room at the top. <laughs> what we'll do is we'll leave the key in the keyhole because she won't be able to escape. Then we'll go right down to the cellar where it's very quiet and we can't hear anything. We'll play cards and we'll leave a window open in the drawing room so that anybody from the outside could just go in. And if they go up one flight of stairs, they'll see that the only door closes, the door where the kidnapped girl is. They just have to unlock it and escape. Thanks, Pat, the hotel porter. Garage Jim, we've saved the day. But that didn't happen. I mean, it, that practically did. I mean, with all that they said, they might as well just add it on that last bit, but very good. <laughs> Why well, down in the cellar with a window open that someone could go in and they could just use the key in the door to unlock it and get her out? <sighs> <laughs> oh, dear. Julian and Dick and Timmy head off at night to find the house on the hill, as we know, <sighs> forbidding Joe to go with them. 
They get to the house with large gates and a wall all around. Dick suggests they climb the gate. In chapter 20, Julian climbs over and lets Dick and Timmy in. They really feel like they're being followed, but Timmy isn't barking. They circle the house, trying to find a way in, but it's all locked up fast. Then they spy a coal hole that they didn't see before. They wonder briefly if it's a trap, but go in anyway. Make their way through the cellars. They still feel like they're being followed. In the house, they're spooked by a cat. Yes, the the cat adds into my uh, wizardry theme. Okay. Because they think they're being followed, of course. Timmy gives a growl. Dick peeps out. They're hiding behind a curtain. Dick peeped out after a minute. I think it was that cat again, he whispered. Look, there it is, up on that chest. It's following us, wondering what on earth we're doing, I expect. Blow it, said Julian. I'm getting the jitters now, being watched by a shadowy cat. You know what note I put in there? Mrs Norris from Harry Potter. A cat that watches you and makes sure you're not misbehaving. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's Jo and she's an animagus and she follows as a cat. Oh, that's even better. Yeah, that's what I said. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But in your voice, after I'd said what I'd said. Hmm. Well, (laughs) both ideas are possible. Mm, I love it. Oh, I didn't even think about that animagus. That's really good. Well done. They find a small room at the top of the house and Timmy knows straight away who's in there. George hugs Timmy and as they leave, Dick trips on the cat and falls down some stairs. Oh, that's very Mrs Norris. Yeah, I don't think Joe would do that. No. Unless it was an accident, of course. Mm, she true. does like to pick on Dick. Yeah. In chapter 21, that wakes the household and Julian, Dick and George are locked into a room. But the men have to hide themselves in another room for fear of Timmy's rage. George tells the story of her kidnap and how she didn't tell the man she wasn't Berta. Did she put on an accent, do you think? I don't know. Suddenly, they heard Joe's voice. She unlocked the door and Dick goes out to lock the men in their room. They leave by the front door. Joe had followed them and opened the coal hole for them. Ah, oh, Joe. In chapter 22, they return to Kieran Cottage at 3.30am to Joanna's shrieks of delight. They have a huge breakfast and fall asleep. Two cars arrive with the police, Aunt Fanny, Uncle Quentin, Berta and her father, who eventually find the sleeping children and to their surprise, George is there too. (laughs) The household gets up and Julian realises he didn't tell anyone of George's rescue. They send the police off and Berta is allowed to stay at Kieran Cottage. Then all the children become oddly sentient. Yes, it's very strange actually. How did you find out all this? said the sergeant. It's too long to tell you now, said Dick. We'll write it all down in a book and send you a copy. We'll call it, uh, we'll call it, what shall we call it, you others? It's a peculiar adventure, really. It ended with everyone fast asleep in bed. And then later on, Anne says, Shall we really send the sergeant a book about this adventure? said Anne. Did you really mean it, Dick? Rather, said Dick, our 14th adventure, and may we have many more. What shall we call the book? I know, said George at once. I know. Let's call it Five Have Plenty of Fun. Well, they did, and they hope you like it. Did they really have plenty of fun? I know, that's what I thought. 
Like, they're sentient, but in a strange way. Because if that was really like, oh, I know, let's call it Five Have Plenty of Fun, everyone would be like, no, George. Uh, no, why don't we call it Five Have an Adventure with an American Girl? Five badly disguise an American girl in the name of science, and George gets kidnapped again. Perfect. Or... Enid Blyton couldn't think of a story and so took some of the bits from the last 13 books and added an American. Yes, and an extra dog. Of course. But she brought Joe back, which I'm a big fan of. But she brought Joe back to do exactly what Joe always does, which is get them out Mm, of a locked-up room and follow them when she's not allowed to follow them. She hasn't added to her character. She is literally a person that does that. That's true, because actually in this book, for a moment, I thought, oh, does she have that big snake with her? But that was the time before when she was following them, when she wasn't supposed to. Yeah, that was Five Have a Wonderful Time. I loved that big snake. And Five Fall Into Adventure was when she climbed up the outside of the uh, tower to rescue George, who had been kidnapped. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, in a tower, in a locked room, but the key was in the door outside. <laughs> You're right, there is there is a little repetition. I mean, fair enough. And actually, you know, reading one a month, the things from the previous books stay with you, especially when you're doing it for a podcast. But coming to that after mm. several months off, it doesn't feel as repetitive as it has done. That's true. Yeah, it was more like rereading a book that you enjoyed after a few years. Um yeah, because I, I did think that there was that Joe was going to be with the big snake and I had to figure it out in my mind. Anything else you want to say about Five Have Plenty of Fun? No, I don't think, I don't think so, actually, because I said a lot of my, my big feelings quite early on um, about there were times when I struggled with George in this book, but overall she was a, she was a good one. And um, my, my thoughts about hair, those were my big ones. <laughs> you do have a lot of thoughts about hair, though. Just in general. I do. Mm. Thoughts and feelings, yeah. Thoughts and feelings. This is the section where we talk about the TV versions. Now, there wasn't a 1970s adaptation of this book because according to an interview with Gary Russell, who played Dick, it required characters from another book, so we know that that's Joe, and it was, quote, too similar to other stories. Gary Russell goes on to say, God bless Enid Blyton, but to pick just one out of a 21-book canon and say, no, it's too like the others, is a bit of an understatement. Mm. Which I think we agree with. By the way, Gary Russell, who plays Dick, I can't imagine you're listening, but I wanted to be your best friend when I was little. I wanted to be George, but I wanted to be friends with Dick, especially the way that Gary Russell played him. Dick is a lot of fun. He's very sweet. He is. And in the 90s version, I haven't got a clip because I completely forgot that that's actually what we do. Mm. So we'll be back on it next episode. (laughs) Genuinely, we were worried we'd forgotten how to podcast. And fortunately, we had the notes ready to remind us um, of the structure of the podcast. But yes, that is something I'd forgotten. However, George drops Scrabble tiles because they've been playing Scrabble in the episode rather than a comb and goodness knows what else that I believe spell out gringo or part of it. Which, you know, luckily she had those letters. I'm not sure how it worked. I can't remember, but I have written that the episode is pretty fast paced and it makes it quite feel like quite a good story. So that one must be worth having a look at. 
So what have we learned from Five Have Plenty of Fun? Uh, you know what I've learned, which actually is more to um, how to make a podcast, is I had written down some what had I learned in a notebook. And at this point in time, I've got no idea where that notebook is. So I don't actually have anything to contribute to this section today. So you've learned and forgotten things in the space of six months, which is fair enough. That's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I only what really learned two things from Five Have Plenty of Fun. Dressing someone as a boy is not an effective disguise when you keep their middle name dog and accent. Mm-hmm. And cobbling together some of the best bits of your last 13 books is only okay if they're not being read month by month. That's true. And if you are going to cobble things together, then bring back that big snake, please. And clopper. Oh, and clopper, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hero of the book? When I read this a few months back when we were originally going to record, I struggled to find or to, to decide who my hero would be. I do find it difficult sometimes when there's a new character because they... You know, they end up usually doing something really big or magnificent or they have a big part of the story. And it, for me, sometimes it takes away from me trying to decide which of the five is the hero. So I was actually a bit a bit stuck for a hero. Uh, for me, it was George for not speaking up when kidnapped. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think... I think of, on, on my reread, I think of the five, George was the most heroic in this book. And having the nows to empty her dressing gown pockets outside so Timmy would find her and they'd pick up the trail. That was clever. But then again, she's so experienced at being kidnapped, she now knows what to do. Yeah, maybe they should make her like a kidnap kit and she just keeps it in a pocket and it's got all the clues that she can strew around for being kidnapped. But maybe that'll <laughs> yeah. come in a later book. Oh, you never know. At this point, I do always ask, what can we expect next time? And does it include a kidnap kit? It doesn't include a kidnap kit. Oh. You can expect some ghostly lights. Oh, I like that. Sounds spooky. Mm, might be a little bit spooky. Oh, what's the next one called? Five and the ghostly light. <laughs> Five on a secret trail. Oh, that sounds fun. And I believe it contains another... Face at the window. Does it? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of windows and a lot of faces. train? <laughs> no, no spook trains this time. Okay. And we will have that episode with you as and when. Mm-hmm. I look forward to it. It's been fun getting back into podcasting. It's been such a long time and my life has changed. It has. Beyond recognition by little girl arriving on the 8th of October. Oh, a little girl. A little Alice. A little Alice. <laughs> and uh, now I better go and check that she's sleeping soundly. Okay. Uh, before you do, we will say we're still on Twitter, which is at Famous5Pod. You can visit our website, which is www.famous5pod.wordpress.com. And if you would like to get in contact with us, which we do always love, so please do, you can email us famous5pod at gmail.com and you can tell us what team you are um i this book uh very strongly team Anne uh for her weird Anne moments and just generally her Anne-ness 
I am and always will be hashtag Team George, no matter what she does, because I don't want to make the best of it either, George. No. Uh, and special shout out to Team Spooky Bertha having that moment <laughs> in the Kieran Island ruins. <laughs> uh, so I'll see you next month for book 15. Book 15. Off we go. Next month-ish. Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye! Bye! Thank you so much for listening to the Famous Five podcast. And please join us next month for more adventures. Goodbye. Goodbye.